Hey everybody, welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G. We are here at Building 5 with Jared Loftus of Max Boring, uh, a tech company, but by no means has he always been a tech guy. We're going to go through his weave and web of his business endeavors as an entrepreneur and his journey thus far, and really just the life of a serial entrepreneur and leading everything up to where he's at now with exits and sales and purchases, acquisitions, mergers, you name it, we're going to talk about it. But before we do, I want to give a big, wonderful shout out and thank you to the amazing folks that bring you this show each and every week. Falaya Real Estate, Horizon Financial Group, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, Building 5 being our location sponsor, Currency Bank, Baton Rouge Metropolitan Airport, and you know our outfit of the day is brought to you by... McClavey Limited, also Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelry. Without further ado, Jared, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking your time out of your day and coming Absolute, uh, absolutely. out of your battles with energy, <laughs> although we won't go <laughs> we don't too have to go much into, into that. that. Hopefully somebody from there is listening <laughs> they give me a call. I won't have to be on hold anymore. <laughs> it's, it's things you got to do as a business owner, man, right? Man, there's hold. so many things that you don't learn uh, in business school about just the nuances of getting through the day. Yeah, or the knowing how to talk to certain customer representatives, and it's some you got to come at them aggressive, and some you got to talk to them like you're your best friend. You're right, you're right. And I can usually, actually, I've gotten to the point where I can hear in their voice if this is going to go well or not. <laughs> Do you ever like hang up and say, "Let me, I'm going to call somebody else"? Absolutely. <laughs> really? Absolutely. I'm like, this is not going to end well. Let me just let me try again. I'll I'll bear through the 15, 20 minute hold and and get the right person. See, I've never I've. <clears throat> I haven't come across that yet. I don't wish it upon anyone. I, I've I've had to figure out. All right, this person. I've had to like work them and like massage them a yeah. little bit. Like, all right, come on, let me see if I can work you out to a little better situation. Yeah, but never. I mean, at the end of the day, it, in any situation, uh, it, it's it, there are people still at the other end of the line. Like we live in this world where AI is taking over everything. Um, but a lot of places, it's not, and there's still a person you have to talk to that may have to talk to another person. And so I, I do usually take the approach of you got to approach them like that. Like it, this isn't a robot. This is a person that is having a good or a bad day. And that needs to take into that has to be taken into consideration how you approach them. Um, and, and that's through all of business, not, not just dealing with the customer service rep at the utility company, but in who you're doing business with, your customers, your, your vendors, your employees, any of that. I think it's, it's easy to miss out on like people are people at the end of the day. And people ultimately make the world of business go around. Totally. So, um, but back up a little bit. Yeah. Who are you, man, and what the heck do you do? Man, I, you know, you said I was this tech company. I, I describe myself as like a, a, a blue collar Bitcoin miner these days. I, I feel more like a high tech janitor than uh, than anything. But we'll get we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, born and raised in, in small town Mississippi. Uh, grew up with uh, with with two younger brothers. A dad that was an entrepreneur. Mom is a school teacher, and I think just seeing what my dad was doing and kind of just inner creativity and wanting to build things naturally got into entrepreneurial endeavors as early as like fifth grade. So and, what does your dad do? Uh, so he had a lawn maintenance, like landscape, uh, cutting grass, things like that. Just uh, again, blue collar stuff. I love but, it. But made a really good business out of it that provided well for, for, for our family. Okay. Yeah. My, uh, my, Family, one of my family businesses that my parents own is an industrial landscaping company. Okay. So can definitely relate. I did lawn cutting from oh, yeah. 12 on. So definitely 
feel you on that. But. Fortunately or unfortunately, I am allergic to grass. So I was able to, you know, like I had to do it as a kid <laughs> and have slowly been able to work my way out. Like it was clear that the, that was not going to be the line for me. So fifth grade, first. So fifth grade, what, I'm what, selling, what were we selling? I was selling some beaded necklaces that like I would make. A lot of times I was selling them to teachers because they're the ones with money, not fifth graders. And, uh, and I'll never forget one day I'm in class and it's the middle of the day and I get a call from the principal's office over the loudspeaker, like Jared Loftus, please come to the office. And everybody kind of looks at me like, uh, what's going on? I, mean, I was a pretty good kid. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Why am I being called to the principal's office? And so I go to the principal's office and we have this like round, round for round kind of back and forth on whether or not I'm allowed to sell, sell anything on campus. Okay. And I'm kind of like one of these kids that I knew the rules. I'd gone through the handbook. I'd read it pay, like cover to cover. No way. And there was nowhere in there that said anything about not being able to sell things on campus. Okay. I mean, not even in a gray zone. I mean, it was just not covered. And so that was my argument. I'm like, but, you know, I get called in. You're going to have to go. You're going to get uh, suspended. Three days suspension. I'm like, whoa. Like, well. But what, why? Like, what? Well, you can't sell things. Well, why not? Where does it say? Well, in the handbook. I said, well, can you show me where it says that in the handbook? And it goes from like three days suspension to uh, detention to we're still paddling back in the day in summer on <laughs> Mississippi. So there's corporal punishment um, all the way down to I walked out free and clear. And, and it, because it was like, well, where is this coming from? Because it's I'm not breaking any stated rules. And uh, I came back to the classroom and over the loudspeaker. So they called me in my classroom, right? Right. But uh, so not the entire school, but I get back to the classroom and then an entire school wide announcement goes out from the principal. I uh, just want to let everybody know you are not allowed to sell anything <laughs> on campus. That is a new rule going forward. And everybody just like looks at me and knows exactly what just went down. So that was my start. <clears throat> And then uh, cutting grass, um, just odds and ends. Like if there was a way to make a buck, then I was figuring it out uh, to the point. The Patty G Show is now proudly presented by Baton Rouge Regional Airport. Y'all, I fly exclusively Baton Rouge whenever I best can. And what they've got now since June of 23 is a non-stop flight from capital to capital, Baton Rouge Airport to Washington, D.C. You're able to make the round trip in one day. They've got the earliest flight, or even earlier than flying to New Orleans, you can fly to Baton Rouge to go from Baton Rouge to D.C. round trip one day. If you've got meetings in D.C. or you've got business gatherings, you definitely want to fly to Baton Rouge and go from capital to capital. They are a proud presenter. We are now brought to you by... Baton Rouge Regional Airport. Thank you so very much for bringing them on as the latest sponsor of the Patty G Show. Out, uh, to the point of that got me to college selling. I'd made some t-shirts for different organizations <clears throat> like youth group and different clubs and whatnot. So, so making t-shirts, um, I did t-shirts. Okay. So I'm curious what process you did. I mean, I know we <laughs> say, oh, just making t-shirts, but... 
we got to backpedal to determine what year we're in to know are we doing screen printing are we doing direct garment printing oh no what direct garment like from doing, the future man, man. That's, I mean, that's from the future so this was this is late night well so i graduated high school in 2000 um so 98 99 this still still screen printing right right and and then early 2001 2002 direct garment was there but it was still kind of Man, yeah, I mean, it was like a bulletproof vest kind of thing when he'd print out. It was just like real stuff. So this is old school screen printing. And I I wanted to run for student body president at Southern Miss. And to do that, I, I needed to raise some money. So I was selling T-shirts for each home game uh, for Southern Miss and whoever we were playing. And uh, and I did that. <clears throat> Sold one each game. Had, had one each game. Some games were better than others. Kind of learned the market, the ups and downs of big opponent, big game, big sales. You know, we play a kind of a no-name team that's a throwaway game, not as many sales. And so learned about just inventory and, how, you know, I put it all on a credit card, bought, bought, paid for everything on a credit card, and then made enough money to, to pay that off and then have some extra and just roll that forward. And so fast forward, I do that. I run for student body president. I was I won. I, I thought that was my path. Like, I, you know, student government and then going to politics, working in Washington, Capitol Hill, all that stuff. And my senior year had to do a, uh, I was in business school and had to do a, 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 a business plan as a, like that was the class to submit a business plan. And everybody was making up businesses and just writing a plan. And I, I asked the teacher if I could do something. Like I had this, I actually had this idea, can I do it on that? And, and that forced me <clears throat> into, looking into well could i could i take this t-shirt thing i was doing and make a go at it and and from there i i, I knew that i mean i love southern Miss to the top but i knew that that was not the market that i was going after as far as if i'm going to build a business i need to go after a larger student population a, a bigger football program things like that and and so i i kind of looked at hattiesburg and drew drew like an eight hour radius around that of where it would make sense and uh, looked at Starkville and Oxford and Tuscaloosa and Gainesville and Baton Rouge and um, and came down to Baton Rouge to actually look at a physical location to do a store and found that spot across the street from the chimes and and like it, 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 it's all all she wrote from there I mean it it, it kind of it's like I, I just kept taking steps and it kept moving me forward and uh, next thing you know, I've I've got a, a retail store on the corner of uh, Chimes and Highland. Wait, wait. So you had the building across <clears throat> from Chimes? Yeah, Tiger wow. District. That was, okay. That was me. Wow. That was you? Wow. Whoa. <laughs> Boom. Okay. Crazy stuff. So how long did you do that for? So I opened that right after, right, like literally graduate. I, I actually had to go back to Hattiesburg to graduate because um, I'd already moved here. It was it just kind of all came together. That part of um, of campus was kind of underdeveloped at the time. Um, there was a Claire's that was there that had that had gone out of business. Um, there was a Verizon Wireless that was vacant. Uh, the Foot Locker was hanging on. The Gap Store was hanging on, and um, and so this property was vacant. And I'm like, this this makes too much sense. Like for what I want to do, I want to sell collegiate merchandise. LSU had just won the national championship. You've got this huge student population. Like it all was lining up and, and, and made sense to me. And 
Um, and thankfully I, I was, I, you know, I look back on it, I'm like, how, how did, like, why did they give me a lease? Like how, <laughs> there was no reason to believe that I could do this. Like all of these things that could have gone wrong. And I was just like, I guess, young and dumb enough to push forward with it. And, and, and so I opened up in what was this old Verizon wireless and, uh, and, and had no idea what I was doing. You know, uh, I thankfully hired a designer, um, uh, that, that uh, like an interior designer that helped me make it look like an actual store, not, yeah, a, not a Verizon, not store. like a 21 year old. It doesn't know what he's doing, putting stuff in a place to sell it. Um, and, and just, and grew it from there right after that, like the gap closed, the footlocker closed. It was kind of barren there for a little while. Uh, Katrina happens. Uh, it was, but, but all of these things were no, I didn't know any better. I was 22, 23, just like, this is just business. And I, I've got to pay this rent and, and move forward and learned a tremendous amount in doing that. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was an, it was an interesting ride getting that, getting that business started. So now did you have to deal with any licensing with the school or anything like that? Yeah, all of it. I mean, it was, this is a, that was a different time. I don't, maybe you could do what I did then today. It's such a different game with, um, you know, NCAA licensing. Now you've got NIL. I can't even imagine. There's some things that I would have done very differently had NIL been around when, when I was there. Um, but yeah, I had to navigate the licensing, how to get things manufactured, how to have ideas that I turn into designs that I get made just for us without being the licensee, uh, all that stuff, you know? And again, it was just figuring it out. And I didn't even realize, I don't think I even realized how much I'd figured out until much later, uh, going through it when people would make comments. Like I had vendors that would come into the store. Our thing, our, our, our kind of thing in the beginning was all of our shirts were $10, Okay, every T-shirt. So you'd walk in and all like sidewalls, back walls, everything in there, all the T-shirts were $10. Okay. And I was able to do that because I designed them myself. I had them manufactured myself. Mm-hmm. So I went straight to the to the manufacturer instead of having somebody in the middle. And and so I still had really good margins. I mean, I had I had 60, 65% margins on a $10 shirt. That's that, not bad. Absolutely. That's really good. Like that's nor- that that's like good retail margins. And right. so I had vendors coming in that were trying to sell me t-shirts for eight bucks wholesale. And I'm like, that doesn't work with the model. And they're like, oh, you, you know, you're never going to make it. You have to raise your prices. You have to do all the stuff. And, um, and so we were trying to do a, a volume game. Like I wanted right. you to come in and buy five shirts and spend 50 bucks instead of two shirts spending 50 bucks with the idea that, you got five shirts, so you're happier about those five shirts than the two, and it all works out. And and that's one of the pieces that would be almost impossible today. There's minimums in licensing. There's these. I mean, it would. It, I don't even know. You'd have a hard time getting a blank shirt with nothing on it for those prices today, right? And so, and and we evolved over time. To I couldn't do that forever, but that's how we got started. And uh, and and just you know, learn it. <laughs> we first opened. I so didn't know what I was doing that, you know, and it, I, I spent all this money to get the store together and open that I didn't have a ton of money for a lot of merchandise. So the idea was, well, I'll sell merchandise, you know, same thing as previous, like I'll sell merchandise, the money from that will help me buy more merchandise and I'll build it out over time. So literally day one, 
I had like the same shirt on all of the walls and on the racks, like just to fill the store and make it. You know, you don't want to look and yeah, walk yeah. into all, a all new your store. Yeah, is on the shelf. Not only all the inventory, but it's like the same shirt just multiple times to make the store look full. This episode is proudly presented by Gage. Gage is a local company here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. For over 40 years, Gage has provided businesses with the very best telecommunications, IT, and standby power services available. Gage has a variety of services, including Gage Cloud Voice. It is the last phone system your business will ever need. You need to give your business the ability to be accessible anytime, anywhere, and with Gage's cloud-based phone system, you'll be able to accomplish just that. Not only do they have Gage Cloud Voice, they have fully managed IT services that are proactive network monitoring, 24-7-365, help desk, business, content, Continuity, they are there for you. What you're also going to need is some cybersecurity. Gage is there to safeguard your business from potential cyber threats, even when you aren't aware they exist. Gage also is power and leaders in standby generators. They are the number one Cummins dealer on the Gulf Coast and provide generators to homes and businesses of any size so you can keep life going. Gage, better connected. A proud sponsor of the Patty G Show. Look for. So how, did, how what were people's first impression walking in? They the loved store? it. I mean, it was it. Uh, we opened up on Alabama weekend. I had a uh, I had a shirt that said "Beat Bama." Uh, I I remember, you know, in your mind, you're like, "Oh, it's like a grand opening. You want to do these things?" Like it's already mid season because we didn't get start. I mean, I graduated in July. I didn't get into the store until August. I'm like, "Yeah, we're gonna get open for football season, <laughs> right?" Like, <laughs> I, we didn't get going until November. Uh, I had the Beat Bama shirts. I remember they were on a rack kind of inside the door. I hadn't opened it yet. And there's people everywhere. And and somebody kind of like looks in and opens the door and is like, is it open? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're open. You <laughs> you know, like I, there was no grand opening. There was no big hurrah. It was just people walked in and started buying things. And, and I'm like, okay, th- this is it. But that's got to be like the best feeling in the world. Oh, uh, there is still nothing really that compares to seeing someone wear a T-shirt that I definitively know I made. Like people are like, oh, well, like they're all LSU shirts. No, those are like my children. I can spot them <laughs> from a mile away. I know which ones are mine and which ones are not. And I, uh, I saw somebody, I saw somebody wearing one um, on Halloween just uh, uh, like a week ago, two weeks ago. At and it was like a, um, it's that we did this like LSU kind of ugly Christmas sweater looking sweatshirt uh, that this this woman was wearing. And I, I mean, we haven't sold that shirt in 10 years, 15 right. years. You know? She kept it's, it. Yeah, she kept it. And she's and she's wearing it in public, you know? And so I always get a kick out of of, of seeing those out in the wild. I did, I did T-shirts for about two or three years. Oh, yeah? And when you say you did it, like you... Like, well, I came up with designs, what came kind up of with des- a brand. So I was, I had a company called Off the Pier. Okay. And it started off Like as a fishing a, type? Yeah. So okay. an outdoor fishing type. And okay. we had like, we had two different designs going into it. We had like a shrimp boat with an American flag on the back. Okay. And then we had a commercial snapper fishing vessel. What year is this? Oh, gosh. This has got to be 15, 16. Okay. Not too, too long ago. So but, not not but, too long but ago. But still long in the ago. age of like Amazon. What was your distribution? How'd you, how'd you get Trade it out? Trade shows. Trade shows, trade shows, and website. Really? Okay. And so, so you were you media. selling to other retailers? 
Well, I never got that far. Okay, so you were just selling as the brand. You were direct to consumer. Right, right. Okay. So I would go and I'd go and pick up my my blanks, and I would go and bring them to a print shop, and they would print them all for me, and go back and pick them up, and then I would sell them on my website. Trade shows every weekend, and trade shows like fishing shows. What like what? Uh, like holiday mar like markets. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like well, people um, are buying gifts and stuff. People are going buying gifts. They're yeah. going like it's just this all these. Vendors are there. We did you ever like, do the Swamp Pop Music Festival? In no, I never Gonzales. did Swamp Pop. I did sell. I've I've set up there to sell LSU shirts. I did uh, holidays. Holidays was the Familiar biggest was the biggest market yep. I'd ever done. Yep. And for me, the best feeling still is selling more than one shirt to one person. Oh yeah. Like I had somebody come in and they bought five or six shirts, and I was just like, "This is this is incredible." Absolutely. I mean, one of my most favorite memories in business is 2007 LSU wins the national championship. We go to the national championships. It's a huge deal. Right. And we are, um, no, sorry that Alabama was 11. So in 07, we, we go to the national championship. We'd had two losses. We weren't really supposed to get there. We did all the stars align and it's in new Orleans. And so I set up a big tent on the corner of Poydras and Loyola, okay. navigated all this crazy paperwork to be able to sell out. You see people selling stuff all over the place in New Orleans, and it made it very difficult for me to do it in a legit way. But I get all the permitting. I'm in that parking lot, got this big tent. We sell stuff before the game. It's great. But the moment that I realize, wait, we're going to win this game, <clears throat> I run back to the tent. I had some buddies that were helping me. We'd gone way out on a limb and had gotten like national champions merchandise printed. No way. I had it in a U-Haul parked in the parking lot. And so we, you know, it's like hitting the lottery here, right? Yeah. Like yeah. we've won. I've got all this stuff. We bring it all out. And just in a matter of like 45 minutes, we do probably the best month I've ever had in sales in like that 45 minutes because of just the rush of everybody coming out of the Superdome down Poydras were one of the first things they see. They want to, you know, everybody's excited and it's just, you, you couldn't, you couldn't take people's monies fast enough and give them shirts. It was just craziness. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Uh, I, I unfortunately only got to experience that once. They didn't. <laughs> 2011 was was kind of a was kind of a letdown on that national championship, scoring zero points. And so, like, I got to see, I got I got the to feel high the high, high highs. Honestly, the high was so high though that I and I realized like how crazy it was that we made that bet with the U-Haul full of T-shirts. Uh, I didn't make that bet in 2011, and. I'm, uh, I'm glad that I did not because those those shirts would have all been shipped overseas. Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pentis is a past guest. We love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear. How they treat not only their employees but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove concierge service Every step of the way, they're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life, shopping for a car. They're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Well, and it's tough as an entrepreneur when you hit that high of high. It's like, where do you go from here? So where do I go from there is actually like kind of the evolution in, in the business. So I hit that high and was like, 
this is as good as it gets. What the chances of us winning a national championship every year are are highly unlikely. And if we do, each one is going to be less than the one before because it it, it now it's commonplace, right? And so right. I'd kind of played around with the idea of of looking at other stores and same model and different campuses and uh, really what I came to was. Uh, retail wasn't my thing. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. It, this is pri- this is right before e-commerce. So I opened this store before Facebook was a thing. Okay. okay. Let, just to kind of like level some set some context there. there, yeah. Right? So e-commerce, not that big. Amazon's not that big. It's all like early, early days. Looking back on it, it's like, well, yeah, well, that's what I should have done was a, a website and distribution through that. But I didn't know any better. And I'm like, well, let's do a store. Well, like six years in, I'm just like, this retail thing is just not for me. Like, I love the creativity. I loved interacting with people. I love the sales. I love the making of the thing. I didn't love making sure the store was open at 10 o'clock every day and the shelves are stocked and things are neatly arranged and folded and just all this other retail stuff that is kind of part of the game. And uh, like I uh, had one of my vendors that was on the wholesale side, interested in the retail side, and um, and I was I was looking to get out of the retail side, and so we we made it work, and that's who's there today with Bengals and Bandits. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So just a clean transition and sale. So it, it kind of allowed me to get out. I was I retained Tiger District. Obviously, they went with Bengals and Bandits, and um, and so I kept it online. Was was really going to focus on the online side of things with the idea that. I would have tigerdistrict.com doing LSU merchandise. And, you know, people, when I was thinking about growth, it was like, well, I can only sell LSU merchandise on this corner right here, right? Like I can't, I can't even sell like Tulane or other Louisiana University. I have to sell just LSU. Right. And, but online, I can do Tiger District and Roll Tide District and Gator District. And, and so at one point I had like, 250 domain names of every district you can imagine of all major uh, baseball, basketball, football, NCAA, district.com. And that was the, the, the next move was to start going into those markets, but doing it online. And, uh, and we did raise a little bit of money for that. <clears throat> Went after it. The, the year that we make the big push was when it was, you know, we had the Honey Badger. We were undefeated going into the national championship, uh, playing Alabama like arch nemesis in the national championship. You couldn't get any better. And so w- when it was supposed to be about an effort of going broader and in other markets, we were kind of forced to like double down on LSU because that's what was hot at that moment. And it went from like, hot to not very quickly scoring scoring those zero points in the national championship and so um so all that to be said we we had a strong foothold on the lsu market but just never underestimated what it took to build that same brand awareness and 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 in sales distribution for lsu to duplicate that in other markets was just a lot more difficult than yeah. than we imagined well your your location led to the success of absolutely. Tiger District. And I mean, I, you're at the and gates of that. campus. Yeah, absolutely. And that that helped tremendously. We also, we were kind of known for our game day shirts. That was our big thing, was having a game day, a shirt for each game day. Yeah. Uh, or at least the big games and, um, and, and trying to do that in other universities where we hadn't 
didn't have that physical presence for people to understand that it it definitely was was just more difficult so it was you know one of those business lessons that had to be learned the hard way yeah i mean you're talking 250 designs a week like that just yeah that's a lot of design work yeah 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 so you you exit the retail <laughs> space dabble in the online space got what, into what's online the next place I, and then i got into this like rhythm of thinking it was cool to be the serial entrepreneur cuz like man i'm so interested in all these different things and and i have this you know seasonality of football season's crazy and then it comes down pretty hard even if basketball and baseball do well they just don't bring the sales that football does right and so i have this period of the year where i'm not super busy and so then you know i'm twiddling my thumbs like okay well what what do i do next and and there's only so much you can do to better your business when it's around football like i can't make football season come any faster and i always just end up in other things like we ended up I ended up, that's when my food truck started. I got both food trucks that I ended up being involved with were started in the spring after a busy football season. And so um, I did Ninja Snowballs was the first one. And that was like a food truck with snowballs. Uh, that was Twitter was getting to be big. The food truck scene was happening in other cities. It wasn't happening here yet. And I'm like, I I think I can navigate how to do this. There was no food truck permit that you could right. get downtown. Had to, you know, cobble together all these other things that were like would suffice if somebody said, "Let me see your permit." You could show them something, and they couldn't say, "Well, it, that's not the right thing," because there wasn't a right thing. And uh, did that, then got into Taco de Paco, um, did a uh, entrepreneurial co-working space out at Perkins Row for a little while. And, um, yeah, just uh, dabbled in way too many things. So now it's like <laughs> I hear serial entrepreneur and it makes me cringe because it's like, no, that just means you're, like, disorganized and, and like, chasing shiny things uh, for me. That's what right. it's meant for me, you know? Like, anybody I've seen that's done well and been successful with many ventures is someone that's already done really well in one thing. And and then gone into multiple ventures. And there's an exception to all of those, but um, but yeah, I've, I've I've had to try to back off of back off of that. I, I, people all the time are like, oh man, you got so many businesses, that's so cool. It's like no no no, that just means I know how to fill out a form on the Secretary of State's website, and it's actually really easy. <laughs> you too can have a business in about ten minutes yeah. if you if you'd like. <laughs> like there's more to it than that, you know. Thank you so, so very much to Building 5 for the, becoming the latest sponsor of the Patty G Show. We are going to be filming once a month at Building 5. We're going to post about it on our social so you can come and visit with us. Building 5 is an excellent food establishment if you're into sharing boards and really getting a creative menu. Misty and Brumby have done an excellent job of creating an environment that's warm, welcoming, and inviting for every single occasion. Go on over to Building 5 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and tell them that the Patty G Show you sent know. you. So, Ninja Snowballs being your first food truck endeavor. Correct. I mean, why Ninja Snowballs? Um, so, context of that corner of campus, I had somebody that worked with me from New Orleans, and she was like, man, there's no good snowballs around this side of campus, you know? And she you know, she grew up with great snowball options in New Orleans, and 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 uh, she's like, man, we, we should have a snowball. So, like, let's just we'll park it in that parking spot right in front of the store, and... Uh, it would do great. You know, it's a great location. And I was not 
my ass, no, well, like it, it, not the biggest barrier of entry to get into. That wasn't that interesting to me, mm-hmm. but I had been reading about food trucks and paying attention to Twitter. And those were all like things that were starting to emerge. And, and so I said, well, I, if, if, if we could do it, if we could combine the two, that would be interesting. I don't want to do just a snowball stand. If we could make it this mobile thing. And that's where it was the concept of, of the, the ninja, like it, it shows up in different places and you never, you, you know, you only know where it's going to be based on Twitter and, and it was well received. People liked that. And, and from that, um, it was like, well, that's a, that's a, a winter, not a, that's a summertime endeavor, right? It's not really a, a full year type thing. How can we take this and, and do something that we can do year, year round? And uh, I'm a huge fan of tacos. I love tacos. Uh, I like making tacos. And uh, somebody approached me um, about uh, actually John Snow at, at Emergent Method. Yep. Brought up this, like, had, I think he was still in college at the time. He had this very well thought out, or he just finished college and was in his first job and had, had like a legit business plan of, of this taco stand. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's, let's do it. Yeah, let's figure this out. And that's, and that's how Taco to Paco came about. So when did you exit from Ninja? Ninja Snowballs. Because so, they're still around. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say I'm proud of the, the most of these things are still operational. Ta, um, Ninja Snowballs. I don't really remember. I feel like that was like 2013, 2014. I know exactly when I got out of Taco to Paco because I I promised my wife I would be out of the food truck business before <laughs> my daughter was born in February of 2016. So I know, and like we sold it the week before she was born. So Ninja Snowballs would have been right before that. Um, and then, so that would probably have been 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. Yeah, man, because they're still like Ninja they're still Snowballs. Rocking. Ninja Snowballs is like, a name. I still get fun. It's, it's funny. like people, an incredible name. Yeah, people people send me text uh, all the time of, "Hey, I saw this out there." Or, you know, it was at this event. I think they do a bunch of weddings and mm-hmm. uh, catered events and things like that. So I I love the fact that they're they're still rolling with it. Oh yeah, well, and they'd go to like baseball games mm-hmm. and stuff now. I mean, it's it's phenomenal to see. Yep. And now it's a selling point. I mean, we're in Louisiana, so you get ten months out of the year. Right. You can sell snowballs. Right. You know, eleven, depending if it's a warm yeah. year or not. <laughs> exactly. So when you hear, oh, Ninja Snowball is going to be there, it's mm-hmm. like this attraction of wait. There's, I mean, anytime you hear a food truck's going to be anywhere, it's always attractive. I think I have the the pencil drawing sketch I did of that logo of the like the cone ninja, um, literally on. I think it was either the back of a napkin or some scrap sheet of paper. Uh, But that, through all of those processes, what I realized was that was where I really enjoyed that side of it was um, the creation of the brand, the marketing, the sales, the that part of it, which is where I kind of leaned more towards um, the the internet and it's like wide distribution of, of being able to focus on the things that I loved. Um, and, and, you know, from there doing those things, the going out to other markets with the collegiate shirts, that was always the main thing. Right. Uh, and it, it just, it, it didn't take off in the other, other markets like we had hoped. And, uh, truth be told, had my first child, had a son, um, uh, end of 2012. And it was like, all right, I, this isn't about me. It's not just me anymore. I've got a I got to figure this out and and get some steady income or, or or something that's not 
totally reliant on 18 to 22 year olds athletic <laughs> performance on the football field, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, because there was a distinct correlation between wins and losses and, and, and sales. Right. And, and now the whole economy of Baton Rouge is so much heavily weighted on that. It's I, ridiculous. You, you throw NIL in and it's just another, it's a whole other beast. Um, it's kids on a, it's kids on a field <laughs> with some pigskin. It's, it's crazy to me. I just can't imagine. Um, but yeah, it's just a different game. It's a different game. And yeah. I'm, I'm happy to like look at it from afar now and not be engulfed in it. Uh, but during, like, so as I'm transitioning out of that, I was in the tech park and there was this other company in there. Actually, a guy that had worked for me with Tiger District had gone to work for these guys doing ACT test prep. And it was like some books and uh, a weekend course, and it was starting to take off. And one day they walked in the office saying, "Hey, we're, we're there's some state funding, some some things changing in the laws to make it uh, uh, your everyone. It's mandatory that everyone, all juniors, take the ACT. There's these things changing in the environment that we think are going to be really good for the business." Would you be interested in coming on board and helping us to grow this thing? And um, and and like yeah, I, you know, it, again, it was I, to, at the time it looked like contract work of just something that would bring in some steady pay. And um, and then like six months later, I went in full time and uh, and and, and kind of ended up being a co-founder to what today is is Mastery Prep. And in that first year, we went from like. Three hundred thousand dollars in revenue to three and a half million dollars in revenue, and Holy just smokes. you know it was lights out. It was just crazy growth. Uh, it was a ton of fun, and I was really get you know I I had transitioned from this you know still using my creative brain and and building stuff to more of a okay it's, it's like operations and and scale and growth and building a team and and how do we attack these these new markets to to get sales and. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I in, enjoyed it um, immensely. Yeah, and now you've got the history of sales kind of pushing you into this mastery prep deal. Right. And you look at it, and you have, what, five different industries you've created businesses <laughs> over. <laughs> right, right. And they've all been wildly successful. Uh, that's that. That's debatable, but they've. They, I'm still <laughs> they've been here. Successful. I'm still here. Yeah, I'm still you're, here. You're not, you know, underneath the overpass right now. Not today. So, no. and with mastery prep, being something, I mean, education, totally different from yep. tacos and snowballs. We your yep. last endeavor before there. I mean, what what are the conversations like around the Loftus dinner table when you're considering saying, I'm stopping to sell tacos to start helping kids take the <laughs> ACT? Uh, I think, again, it's this, it, it, you know, I can weave that thread of, I mean, one, for one, I took the ACT eight times. As in high school, okay, I was trying to hit this score of I forget what in Mississippi we don't have tops. We had some other things of I mean I take it eight times and I, and, and I, I still came short by like a point and uh, and so I had this understanding of what it takes to prepare. I was not prepared in my school. I, like that was all outside stuff. I, I was prepared for English. Like I had a really great AP English teacher, but the rest of it was kind of left to my own devices on figuring that out in small town, Mississippi, not a ton of places I could go for that additional help. And so that part spoke to me. Um, and there was a real market there, like the way that the laws were changing, that it made it mandatory. And so I thought it was a, 
a great story of being able to do something really good, providing this needed help that gives people access to college in an environment where they otherwise wouldn't get it, but, but giving them something that's of high value, there's some real quality there, and we can make money doing it, that's a win-win. Oh, and yeah. so, um, so it was more about those conversations. It, it, and, you know, at this point, I'm, you know, almost 10 years in. I, my wife and I dated for like eight years before we got married. So she'd been around for a while at this point. And <laughs> she, she, she's seen she, some endeavors. Yeah, she kind of knows what, what she got into. And all she had to hear was like regular paycheck. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of conversation after, the, after that, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so that's. Uh, yeah, the it, it's funny because people always ask, well, what does your wife think of this? And this one, she's kind of all of the, you know, especially as we get into the crypto side of it, which we'll, we're, we're closing in on. But uh, it, it, it it's usually kind of, well, here's here's the market that I see. Here's the timing of it and the opportunity. And, and here's why I think that the time is now. And 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 she's largely been on board with that along the way. Well, and I think your, your eye for markets has been one that's hit in just about every one of your endeavors. There's been a couple of times where I, there's definitely this notion of being first to market in business a lot of times. Right. I, I've, I've definitely experienced where you can be too early. You know, when we started those first food trucks, we were we were having to explain to people why it was okay to be buying food off the street from an old UPS truck. You know, like it was, that wasn't something that people inherently understood no matter how much they're doing it in new york or austin or these other cool places here in baton rouge they'd never bought food off of a truck and that was kind of strange and uh and the same thing with entrepreneur headquarters the co-working space in, in perkins road that was a like co-working spaces pre we work or any of all that you know that stuff and, and people were like well no i want my own individual office i, I don't want to be out in the open where other people can see what I'm doing and you know so um the thing I've learned there's there's definitely like seeing a market but timing is is almost just as important cuz if you're really early then you've got to be really well funded to be able to stick it out until people do understand what it is that you're doing um and and you know back to the serial entrepreneur thing I, I got into it because I was curious and interested and it was exciting and people were talking about it. We're in all these magazines for Taco de Paco and cover of 225 and things like that. So it's exciting. It didn't always necessarily translate to the bottom line. Right. And, and, and then I would move on to the next exciting thing. And so, uh, you know, now I'm trying to sit in this place of like, let's focus on the, on the bottom line. And it, it, if it's not exciting, it, that's okay. Let's make a good business out of it. So, McClavey's Limited, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show, has been serving the Baton Rouge area proudly for 40-plus years. Gentlemen and ladies, if you're shopping for your man, there is no other place in the Baton Rouge area to get your clothing, whether it's game day needs, everyday needs, business attire, formal attire, whatever you want. Go over there, see Frank and Ashley. It's a father-daughter duo. They do incredible things in their store. They will outfit you from as simply a shirt that you need for one evening, or all the way to a full wardrobe overhaul. They're going to take care of you every step of the way, and be sure and let them know that Patty G Show sent you. So yeah. before we get into the fundraising 
part that I want to ask you about. You kind of glossed over the co-working space in Perkins Road. We never for, touched on for that. right reasons. Yeah, it was. It, it, I, I did that with some other people, and it it, it was a thing. Like it, it it again never really uh, got off the ground. I saw you had uh, Derek Fitch on uh, recently. They had something that they were doing downtown in in one of their spare buildings. We quickly got to this point of not spare buildings, but a building that they had spare space. That's what was happening as big retail developers were like, oh, I've got a whole floor. We can we can do that here. And the and so not that it was a commodity, but really what what we learned is the, the places like that that did really well built community. Mm-hmm. And and again, I was I was chasing the excitement and the, you know, hype and and building community is is operations that takes time that takes effort and and uh if it didn't happen overnight i was like oh next shiny thing so right. uh so yeah so then back back to the serial entrepreneur the continuing to find that excitement you said something about being on the 225 cover being on covers of magazines didn't always necessarily translate to the bottom line I Which could almost say never. <laughs> well, that's, well, and that's, and that's what I'm getting at is it, like everybody initially sees these people featured here, there, and everywhere. And their immediate thought is well, if somebody's picking them up and talking about them, they obviously have to be blowing it out of the water. Yeah. But in reality, it's like you're either just upcoming, which means you're still burning cash, or you're trying to exit and so you're vamping up your image. And so it's like they never catch people, I feel, (laughs) at their like peak performance time. It's like they're up and coming. They're still burning cash and still in the red, but they're here. I I definitely used to chase that way more. Um, And nothing against the media or or folks doing podcasts or any kind of like distribution on that front. It's just like there was a time where I thought that, was, especially being a consumer-facing business, I wanted to do anything that got us in front of potential consumers, and I would justify the effort that that took of, well, we're on the cover of the magazine. And, and look, when we had the big, bright orange truck on the cover of 225, it was good for business. Don't get me wrong. Right. But it's it's not like the end-all, be-all. You know, It wasn't like we could hang it up and, and not try anymore because that had happened. There's still so much more to do. Um, you know, I remember I... I mean, it's luck, it's timing, crazy, you know, things coming together. But I was featured in Forbes that 2011 season where we're raising money. We just raised money. It's undefeated season. Honey Badger is a thing, and we have the Honey Badger T-shirt. And we're on the way to the national championship. And I get featured in Forbes under this headline of college football's biggest entrepreneur. And at the time, I'm like, oh, like this, <laughs> like this is it. It doesn't get any bigger than this, right? And so now I'm like, I'm able to go shop this article, and and you're right, it would open some doors. There would be like validation that occurred because Forbes spent time with me and wrote an article and published it. That was a validator of sorts, right? Um, and so that helped. But I'll never forget, I was raising money from this one guy in Texas that. Uh, He's like, man, I said something about Forbes. He's like, look, let me tell you this. I don't care about any what publication has written about you because I got all these guys in my industry. He was in oil and gas. I got all these guys in my business that are chasing this magazine cover or that article, and it's all about that for them. And meanwhile, I'm running circles around them. And I kind of took a step back. I'm like, wow, that, I hadn't really thought about that. 
you know, because it, it's an effort. There is to be prepared for the interview, to to push the interview out and make sure people see it. Like all of this stuff, you spend all of this mental time thinking about it. And, and for what, like, I can't, I can't point to that Forbes article, which would be arguably the biggest media hit at that point for me. I, I don't know really how that moved the needle. Right. And, and at the time I thought it was game over. Like I don't need to do anything else. And it was like, actually I, I need to keep doing everything else. Cause it, it didn't really make that big of a difference for me personally. Um, you know, I, Maybe we sold a few more shirts. I don't know. I mean, it's still early days e-commerce, so not the best tracking on that stuff. But there wasn't a link on the Forbes website to tigerdistrict.com. Yeah. You know, there's a picture of our Honey Badger shirt, so that kind of helped. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting when you look back of, like, how much of a deal, big deal you made about it. And then it's kind of, you know, similar. We were on the cooking channel with Taco Paco, and, uh, and that was a great hit. But you know who's not buying tacos from a Baton Rouge food truck? Everybody outside of Baton Rouge. <laughs> Everybody watching outside. Right? And so, yeah. so like, it's really cool. And some ways, you just have to be honest with yourself of, like, what does it actually mean? And so now it's I, – I've, I've, not that I don't have the time for that as, as much as it's just I'm not seeking it. I, that's not something I'm chasing like right. I used to. But it's, it, it's shown, like, not necessarily – you've already had success it's you've shown maturity in the fact that you're like i don't need to be on a cover i have to be focusing on what i'm doing yeah and if they give me a, if they give me a call totally based on mm-hmm. what i'm doing and they say hey we want to talk to you we want to do this say great we'll, we'll make it work but no longer are you saying hey send submit this out for publishing send right. this press release right you're not sending out press releases which right. people often get caught up but again there's some good intentions there of yeah, i gotta totally. get my word out i gotta get my business out totally it's, it's understand viewed as getting this brand and this image out there but not so much of well that's the pinnacle if i'm in forbes like i've made it. that's an I'm, ego i've done this that's an thing. Ego it's, thing exactly it's it's a it's a internalized goal that people can have and again it's not necessarily a vain goal but it is like a why what what comes next right you know okay that article comes out that's a time stamp right what do you do with it where do you go from being on forbes right next like what is your next endeavor because you can't walk around with the newspaper clippings in your pocket all the time and be like look at me see me this is like (laughs) this was me right at this point it's like hey look at what i was 15 years ago you know 13 years ago yeah you know it's like like where are they now what are they doing now you know so right yeah, don't get me started on list. Uh, not to disparage list. I've been on the list. I just I don't I, I don't I don't care as much anymore. Yeah, well, and it's it shows that you've now kind of taken what that person told you of get focused on your crafts, and then you're running circles around the people that are focused on getting on the list. So I, I just finished this uh, great book called Wanting. Okay, and it's about desire and where that comes from. And we won't get this is not about that, but uh, but talking about list, it, there's a story of this guy that is a Michelin three star restaurant, and I, I think it's multi generational in France. And what they did to be on that list, and all of the just insanity that comes with getting on it, but remaining there, and uh, and he gets to a point where they're like, we don't want this anymore. And so he submits a letter. He's like, "Hey, I'd like to basically resign from the list." I'm like, uh, "What? Like, pe- I don't. Can you do that? I don't. I don't know. Like, people don't. People, <laughs> people don't, don't resign people, from the yeah, list. Yeah, people don't do that." He's like, "No, nah, I'm opting out. Like, I don't want the 
the the scrutiny of day to day. We never know who's going to come in or how we have to be. And like, we just want to put out a good product and then it be about that, not about this list. And so he gets off and he just talks about quality of life and, and how he was able to do what he wanted to do with his business as opposed to like always chasing this list. Now you could argue, well, it's, that's easier said than done when you're on the list trying to get off as opposed to being trying to get the on this, trying to get yeah. on it. But I just thought, it, but it's an interesting thing about that of like the people that get there are even like, oh, what? That there's something that comes with that, and and it may not be exactly what you wanted, and so I think you have to be clear about those intentions um, when you're when you're putting massive effort toward it. When it just comes because you've got a great product, you've been doing it long enough, and somebody wants to highlight that, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But when you make it your entire effort. Um, you you really need to know what you're going after. But I think that's the difference maker between individuals are those that are striving to better pursue their craft and then the list comes along the way instead of those trying to get their craft worthy of being on a list. Right. Like it's uh, a list is a list is a list and it's going to be there. How many people have been on there? You know, it may be in a, a small goal of yours, be like, hey, one day I want this thing to be so good people pick us up. Right. But it shouldn't be, hey, I want to build this thing so we get picked up on this list. Right. You know? Right. So from there, you, you you hit all this stuff, and now you've, again, exited from another company. So we have Mastery Prep. So I, I actually stepped out of the day-to-day as it was going from like 1,000% growth to, you know, a, a meager 50% growth. Oh, like terrible 50% <laughs> growth. So, you know, the wheels the wheels aren't falling off. We've got this engine. Uh, I, had, I had stepped away from the day-to-day on that and ended up getting involved with, uh, a guy that is an entrepreneur that had recently sold his business was starting to put something together in the AI space. It was around AI and email marketing. It was a very interesting uh, concept. I had done a lot of email marketing in all of the other businesses, so I understood that. And so this was 2017, early 2018. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to either go into something crypto-related or AI, and knowing what I knew at that point about timing, the crypto thing just didn't feel like the right time. It still felt really fresh and early. And um, uh, lo and behold, AI was still pretty early then too, but I was working with somebody that had, had been there and done that on another level than me, and I wanted to be a part of that. And so uh, that was with Rasa um, doing uh, AI, AI and email marketing, like newsletters type stuff. And uh, so did that for... About four years, grew that up, got that product really out there in in, in what it is, um, and and then got to a point where it was the crypto stuff had kind of been on the side, and I dabbled in multiple pieces of it, so never trading in and out or that kind of thing, but really seeking to understand what was going on in the space. When I first heard about Bitcoin, it was probably like 2013. And I thought it was dumb. I was like, this is this is another version of PayPal. Like, why do we need this? We have a way to transact digitally between people. Uh, and so kind of passed it up. And then had somebody actually hear from Baton Rouge that uh, explained Ethereum to me and what it was in this whole, you know, decentralized way of, of doing things on the blockchain that was really exciting to me. And I had, I'd always felt like I kind of missed the cusp of the internet, the e-commerce side, like going in the physical store before the e-commerce. Like I've, I missed being a being in early on that. And I, and I felt like I was getting another opportunity around that on the crypto side. 
And so it being on the side for a few years, it I'd done enough in it and it gotten to a point where it was like, I like I have I have to go pursue this. I have to go pursue this full time. Um, now again, timing being what it is, uh, you know, it, 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 I think it's important. You can't control it usually, but, um, you know, we ended up raising, uh, some good money to get started as a, a, an infrastructure of blockchain business. So again, not trading and price volatility and in and out of the markets on a daily basis, but more of providing the physical hardware, the computers that keep the network going, um, doing that for Ethereum, doing that for this thing called Helium. Um, and, 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 and so Helium and Ethereum mining were, were kind of the genesis of it and, and raised some money. And I'm talking about two months. I mean, we hadn't even finished raising money by the time the market started to really come down. I mean, it was taking a nosedive. You had this stuff called Terra Luna and a few other things that, that went sideways and, and really left a bad taste in people's mouths. And then six months later you had FTX and it was just like, man, in the first year, our basically entire business model got thrown up in the air and, you know, like there were pieces of things that were making sense, but it was, it was nothing what we had started with. Um, Ethereum mining, Ethereum went through what they called the merge, which, which was a protocol change that basically made mining um, not possible anymore. And we knew that was coming, but we thought we had about six months of it left. So that happened faster because of the downturn and all the other things. Helium made less sense from an economic standpoint. And, uh, and so it was like, man, we, like, what are we going to do? And uh, we had some property that luckily we had, we had purchased uh, in St. James Parish for building out a, a mining facility and and since then have gone all in on bitcoin mining and so that is where where i stand today it is uh you know you have you know you, people's first question usually is like well what, what does your wife think <laughs> think of that like you know the last thing she wants to do is talk to you about bitcoin or blockchain or mining uh it was more of you know kind of this track record of seeing things and she knew that I had seen this crypto market for several years now and had waited. I wasn't jumping on it at the first, you know, shiny object. I'd put in some time and effort, and uh, and 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 at that point had a track record of of in crypto doing well. The things that I'd gotten in on and traded up and and done well with. So it was like, okay, well, the next iteration of this is going into an actual business and and going bigger with this. And, you know, then the, the bottom drops out and it's like, uh, I, we got to figure this out. Like that's, that, that's all there is to it. Yeah. And now you've got this really, really large collapse, not collapse, but crash. Crash. Yeah. In the so, market. I mean, like so, half so, of what it was six months ago. <laughs> yeah. So, so many things that I've learned in the space. I mean, it's interesting. So most people just see the price of where it was. Right. And mm -hmm. so it was, I was looking back on this. So a year ago, it was at like sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars Bitcoin. Um, a year before that, it was at like seventy thousand dollars. Okay, today it's around thirty-seven. So it was up here, it comes down, then it's like double what it was at its lowest. It's just all this up and down. Well, we're getting into the physical infrastructure space of it, right? We're not trading. What most people don't see, while they see the price go down. 
they didn't they don't see the price of the equipment we're buying dramatically drop. So it the the equipment we need to do this business dropped more than the price of the Bitcoin. Ah. And so I mean, for example, I've got machines in our building now that we've outfitted this massive building with that um, in January 22, we're costing people around 20 grand a pop. We ended up buying some at like $1,500, $1,700 a pop. So that's a massive swing. So yes, Bitcoin is worth less, but the machines were even even further down. And so we were able to scoop all that up. And so the best analogy I have for the business that we are in today uh, may not be the most, uh, like it's a little controversial because it's, it's oil and gas in an ESG world, but it, it is, um, it's very similar to oil producers in that they have a a long-term outlook on where oil is going to be. And, Maybe they're able to produce oil uh, at forty dollars a barrel, right? And the market is at forty or fifty dollars a barrel, so they can like barely break even. But they didn't put together this operation for fifty dollar barrel oil. They put it together for hundred dollar barrel oil, and so they just need to be able to hold on yeah. until it gets to that point. If it gets to that point, but if they've done this, they probably believe it will be at that point someday. And that's the same with us in Bitcoin. It's like we have this input of large-scale electricity, and it's the number of machines I can get my hands on. We were able to get our hands on a lot of them because the price went down significantly. Well, now I've got to be able to hold on while the price is lower um, to mine until that price goes up. Because, again, in the oil business, if you wait to start the oil, if you wait to start producing barrels of oil until it's $100 a barrel, then the equipment to do that is going to cost you more and maybe hard to get because everybody's already gotten it. Right. Same with Bitcoin. Like if you know everybody's like, oh, what you know, what if it goes a hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand? Like crazy numbers. I don't, I don't speculate on that. That like we think it will go up. I don't know when or where or how much. It I just, think it'll go yeah. up. But um, but if if Bitcoin were to go to a hundred thousand dollars tomorrow. You'd be hard pressed to get these same machines at these quantities for the prices that we got them. You would, if you were able to get them, they would cost you way more, right? And so, uh, so now we're hopefully positioned for this what looks like could be a turn. I'm, you know, knock on wood, hesitant to say it too loudly, but um, you know, there's talk of the the these Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, there's the Bitcoin halving, which is where the payouts for Bitcoin uh, reduced by half, which means that scarcity increases and uh, you usually see some price increase around that. Uh, So there's the makings of it, right? You know, China could invade Taiwan and blow it all up and it like goes to $10,000 and we're, you know, now we're looking silly on bad timing. (laughs) So there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Um, But I've learned in business, there's every business has things that can go wrong. Every business has things that you have to adjust for, and you can't uh, you can't see the future. And in this case, I I don't think I could do this business having not done all of the others because all of the others have taught me things along the way that have gotten me to here. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> and now it's a bit of like muscle memory, right? And comfort with risk and understanding which risk to take and which not to take. 
Um, you know, like people are like, oh, well, I mean, you're in the Bitcoin world. Are you doing the day trading and, and, and shorting? And, all? and it's like, look, I, I'm already doing something really risky. <laughs> I don't, I don't need to throw risk on top of risk on top of risk. Right. right. So even I recognize like there's a time and place. Um, but the stuff that I've had to deal with just the craziness because there are no rules. There's no playbook. There's no blueprint on how to do this. Uh, like I literally had to build out this facility myself with my own hands on a lot of aspects of it because like, people just didn't understand what we were doing. Like, wait, how, you want to set it up, but it, not gonna have ac but it's gonna have air and like it's a lot of power and <laughs> it's just like i might look i i, I know what i want to do like let me build it we'll have this prototype i can take this and we'll 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 replicate it out hopefully that's going to be the model now thank you and, so very uh, much to currency bank a proud sponsor of the patty g show if you're looking for a business bank that fosters on three core values relationships service and technology currency bank is the place for you they pride themselves on convenient accessible and secure online banking resources where you can manage your account balances initiate transfers enroll with e-statements and more via their online portal between the relationships the service and the technology they are going to be that partner with your business every step of the way, regardless of what you need. Currency Bank is the bank for business owners. Now, and um, and so those experiences in the past of navigating uncertainty when there's not a food truck license that you can go apply for, and what you have to do is get like an itinerant peddler license and a food certification and a small business and a peddler's license, like. I, you you, you kind of have to make your way in a in a in an area where there isn't a way yeah. and and that is you know I've got that in spades. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was about to say you kind of wrote the Bitcoin. book on that. Well, in in, in the Bitcoin world, it it, it really is the, the wild west, um, and and so every day is exciting. It might be like I want to pull my hair out, exciting, but it is it's exciting stuff. Uh, kind of trying to blaze some trail, and I'm not. And look, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not the only one doing this. There's, there are other people doing this. There's not many others, like in Louisiana, that are doing this. I haven't run into anybody doing like large scale. I think there's one or two others based on some comments from Intergy um, of of other people doing that. But by and large, it, it's it, it's still early industry. I'm leaving tomorrow to go to a conference where we're going to visit some uh, other Bitcoin factories in uh, in Texas um, and f outside of Fort Worth and Dallas area just to see kind of like, okay, well, how did they set it up? Did we do this the same way or did they do something differently? Like, you know, is it something about their setup that means they have to do it in this way and we don't or should we be considering this? There's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, and, you know, anytime you take large scale power, uh, that's the hard, that's the other hard part I didn't mention earlier. Like, if it, even if you were able to get all the machines I mentioned and get them at a price that you wanted, you now have to find a place to plug them in, and, and that's just and the bills on it. That that's just not yeah. like those aren't off the shelf things. Um, it takes time and a lot of effort to get a building with that much power there, and so that's where interesting things come into play. It's another thing I'm looking at in Texas is is taking um, what would be basically stranded power solar energy that's not being used, hydro that's not being used, wind that's not being used. Uh, you see in Louisiana more relevant are like flares. You see these big flare stacks. Like that's something being burned as a byproduct, as a waste, right? 
you can take that in a lot of cases if it's, let's say it's natural gas. Instead of burning that natural gas off in the air, you could put that natural gas into a generator that generates electricity that you then plug in your Bitcoin miners to. And, 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 and now you kind of flip this narrative on its head of, of like the environmental impact of Bitcoin where it's like, well, no, if, if done correctly, Bitcoin mining could be a part of the solution for any environmental concerns because, uh, you know, we were talking about earlier before the show of law, like energy is, is hard. It's, it, it, it's complex. Like these lights being on here when we flip the switch and then going off when we want it and that being balanced and all of those things, it's really remarkable and doing it on a really large scale is difficult and, and not many other avenues do you have where you can take a big consumer of power in a small footprint and then use that to help balance or provide, um, you know, uh, resiliency or reliability. There's a lot of things that can come into play with it. Yeah. There's a lot of moving pieces that are always changing. Yeah. It, I thought it was, you plug in some computers and you make money and it's, it's way more than that. It's way more complicated than that. Uh, it's way more interesting than that. Yeah. And I mean, like, so to your point of you've got this whole playbook of how do you write the path of something that hadn't really been done before. I mean, and basically every one of your endeavors, you were kind of forging how does that happen under the certain set of rules and the given right. regulations. I mean, going back to fifth grade with the handbook didn't <laughs> yeah. say you couldn't sell. Right. Now the handbook says you can't sell. You know, food trucks weren't a thing. Now they're a thing. And it's like you've kind of paved the way and helped other people figure out, like, you've taken that brunt of the risk of saying, I want to try this thing out. Nobody really has any rules or guidelines for me to follow. I guess I'll just kind of figure it out as we go. Yep. And that's kind of been like, at least from what I've heard, you're kind of entrepreneurial it is for Journey, better for better man. or worse. I feel like there's a <laughs> lot of arrows in my back for being uh, out there in the front, but um, but but yeah, that like that, I've come to appreciate and learn that is a skill set in itself of just navigating that and having that risk tolerance. Uh, again, it, back to it, it, it's a little bit of muscle memory of of being able to re react to things a little quicker because having experienced in the past, you know, I was thinking my my son just made the basketball team and we were uh, shooting shots last night. I'm like, no, shoot, like shooting, you know, just same spot shooting over and over and over and over again. And, and getting someone was like, look, man, you just, it just needs to be muscle memory, right? Like you just boom, shoot it, make it. And we got to do it a bunch of times. And on the drive here, I was thinking about like, wow, that that's kind of the same thing that's been for me of, of these businesses and, and start, you know, I can, I never used to understand why someone would buy a franchise. I'm like, what? What? What fun is that? Like, everything's <laughs> already done. For you. Everything's done for you. You just like open this book and follow the rules. What? And I know it's harder than that, but you know, it's you do have a playbook. And I've always been on the side of I like to write the playbook, and and I didn't know that that was a thing or a difference or um, and so. So recognizing that over time of understanding the skill set being on the the startup and the maintenance and and then and our, our growth and then maintenance, like those are all different journeys. And so either I have to develop as an entrepreneur 
or, or I have to recognize where mm -hmm. I'm, I'm supposed to be. And then, and then as that, that next phase comes in, find somebody else for it. And, uh, I think I'm out of place in life now, having gone through all the things I, I want to see it through. I'm, I look at this as at least a 10 year endeavor. I mean, it's a, while 10 years in crypto seems like craziness, um, because like, that's just so far in the future for this particular industry. I mean, it's almost double the life a little less, but, um, thinking about that is, is like, okay. But when I look through it, real successes, you, you, you know, we had a good exit with mastery prep that took about, 10 years, you know, several other friends that have had acquisitions or exits of, of, of any substance took 10, 12, you know, maybe it was nine or 11, but like it was a decade of, of effort. And this is something that I feel like not only do I, I need to look at it like that, like this is something I got to be in for a decade or more. Uh, but I'm also interested in it. Like it's, I, I think there's plenty enough to keep me interested and I need to, I've gotten over the the need for it, it having to be interesting all the time. Right. Like some days it's just work. Like I, I I'm not joking when I say I'm a, a high tech like janitor. Like there are I gotta go back to this warehouse on my way home and and literally vacuum up the mosquitoes that are all over the building because they're like clogging the fans of the computers. And we just have this mass like all of a sudden I, I rain or whatever mosquitoes everywhere and that's the glamorous life of a bitcoin miner is vacuuming up piles of mosquitoes but not anything shiny or interesting about that but it's like what has to be done and exactly I, and i'm the one that <laughs> has to do it <laughs> well man as we kind of start to to wrap up the show i know we could be here for hours yeah going through all your endeavors and also the next paths of everything we like to ask every guest the same set of questions yeah so the first one is, what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? Something I used to do as a kid. I, I didn't even realize this back then because I, I, I like to build. I got my, my construction license, uh, my contractor's license during COVID um, just because it's something I enjoy. I've used it a good bit on the Bitcoin factory. Uh, but as a kid, I used to make tree houses all the time. I lived in a rural area out in the, out in the woods and would, would make a tree house only to finish it and then go make another tree house, tree house. And so these, these woods are, are littered with tree houses <laughs> all around my, my house, uh, back in Mississippi. Uh, I would love nothing more than to be able to just spend some time, uh, making tree, building tree houses. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just that that satisfaction of knowing you built something, it's stable, it's sturdy, and it's yeah, like, yeah, it's just, I did this. it's like, uh, like you took some trees and now you have a, a place to live, you know, as a, as an eight year old. I'm, I'm not really looking to live in the trees right now, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think your wife would follow you on that endeavor. No, you know? I don't, I don't think she would. That's like the doghouse for me. Right. I mean, you go, go get in your treehouse. So you've done a wide array of business endeavors, business industries and just starting, selling, building, growing, expanding, what are like three lessons you've kind of learned throughout your process? One I just mentioned of it takes time. There, you can read these articles of Instagram blowing up to a billion dollar company in 18 months or whatever craziness. Uh, you have to recognize that those are anomalies and, and it just takes time. It just, we live in a world where things are so fast 
that you kid yourself in thinking that everything will be fast and you can just spin something out and it'll be a success. And now we live in a world where it is so much easier to launch a website or brand or do a new logo or whatever that you think the success is going to be faster because of that. And it's like, no, it, because it's so easy to do that, it's so easy for everybody else to do that too. Right. And success is just, it, it, it just comes down to hard work a lot of times, timing and hard work. So say so things take a long, uh, take longer. I really read that. I read this interesting article probably about 10 years ago that kind of reset things for me because I was always trying to hit a grand slam. It was never about the base hits or, or the consistency and, and, and sustainability. It was just like, go big, go home kind of attitude. And it was this article, um, kind of the, you know, pitching this idea of trying to peak at 65 years old, like don't peak tomorrow, try to build your life, live your life so that you're peaking at 65 I'm sure some people would be like, oh, not 60. You want to do 75 or we're living longer, whatever. But the right. point is don't try to do it all today. And and so in line with things take longer, it, it's also don't like give yourself time and build upon those successes. You know, I know a lot of people like we're talking about the um, chasing the media and the hits. It's like that was their thing. They wanted to be known. They wanted to get distribution or on the cover or on this article and then they get there and then it's like oh, okay now what like yeah they, now what do you but, do well, well well not only that but then you look back and you're like man that person's nowhere to be found like that like that was their peak i don't want that i you know i want to i want to build upon the peaks i don't want to look back and go that was the best there was um so giving it time not peaking too early and then um, what would be a third one? I think uh, un- understanding what we were talking about earlier with people of just there's still a people aspect in all of this, and social media can remove that. the The speed of things can remove that, and realizing that um, that business still is between people. Like ro- robots aren't doing business with robots yet right like that's not where we are we there there are people in these businesses so even as crazy of a world as crypto is like this conference i'm going tomorrow these are the people behind those things the efforts the blockchain the whatever and uh i i encourage people to not forget that aspect because it's it, it's not only is it important that's cliche that your people are important but but now it's like uh, well, we kind of have to remember that. Like right. it, it is a world that, with AI and generative voice and video, and th- you can just make things up with a couple keystrokes. You still got to remember that it's it's people on the other side of the transaction. No, a hundred percent. And it's making sure that you treat those people as you want to be treated, and you got to keep them happy and satisfied. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard business endeavor to go in now. Totally. So, well, Jared, man, I think we're actually starting to creep up in here at Building 5. People are starting to come in. There you go. Party's starting to get started. I know. So, man, thank you so much for uh, your time here today. I really appreciate you coming and sitting down and sharing your journey. And I wish you well in your future endeavors. Thanks for having me. Keeping it pushing, man. Yes, sir. Paving the way. Absolutely. So uh, thank you for coming. And thank you, everybody else, for listening or watching the show. I'm very appreciative of it. I know the guests are as well. Um, 
just a phenomenal resource of what you can do here in Louisiana and Baton Rouge and the success that Jared has had is just a testament to that. There's so much opportunity here. Don't be afraid to pave your own way. If the rules aren't written, figure out the people that write them and help them help guide them in trying to what you're trying to do and accomplish and just get it done. So y'all go out there, be courageous, figure out what you want to do and don't peak too early and don't stop chasing your dreams. So thank y'all so much. We're out of here. Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away, it's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, way far in the distance, not visible or even a concern. But as you turn 50, something happens. Retirement suddenly seems like something real, something not too far away. In your 50s, you are rolling down the runway. Retirement is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, weeks and months zipping by. But are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement? Fear not, there's still runway left, but the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade, building a pre-retirement flight plan in your 50s. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center with our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days, but I promise you signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux, you won't regret it for several reasons, but most of those being the fact of the time it saves, where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done, and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have, you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition. So if you're an investing guy, you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future. There's no other more important thing to invest in than your health. Make sure you go check them out. Our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center and tell them Patty G sent you. Patty G Show is proudly brought to you by Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelry. Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelry is a local business right here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They create handcrafted jewelry for everyday use, that special occasion, whatever it may be. Gentlemen, they've got amazing jewelry both for male and female. Everyone is their audience. You know, after years of experimenting with everything from ceramic jewelry, glass beads, and enamel, they've settled in on the ancient art of lost wax casting is their main form of creating their work. They cast everything in bronze, sterling silver, and 14 karat gold. Every step of the way is done here right in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Proud, proud sponsors of the Patty G Show, Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelers. Get out there and tell them that Patty G sent you and they're gonna take great care of you on your next order. Welcome to the brand new Falaya mobile app. We took all the same tech that's helped hundreds of people sell their homes themselves and packed it into an easy to use app for your phone. When you download the Falaya mobile app on either the Apple or Android app store, you'll immediately be able to see the power of this game-changing tool. From the seller's dashboard, you can navigate to all the information that you need. We intentionally separated everything into key groups, such as tasks to be completed, buyer leads for your listing, and contact information for everyone involved through closing. When you get an offer on your property, you can simply review and respond all within the app. 
No matter where you are in the world, you'll be able to monitor everything that's going on with your property from listed to sold. It's truly the power of Falaya in the palm of your hand. Download the app and see for yourself. Falaya, it's real estate reimagined.